Welcome to the In Plain Sight podcast, a project of City Care, an Oklahoma City-based nonprofit that inspires those willing to look social injustice and extreme poverty in the face and empowers them to do whatever it takes to create change. It is our goal to inspire you to care well for your city by bringing to light stories and issues lost in plain sight, hiding in the margins of our communities. You belong here because each of us has a role to play in the collective well-being of our friends and neighbors. We are activists for the overlooked and we are so glad you're here. Welcome back to In Plain Sight, a City Care podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. As we dreamed and schemed about what we wanted for this podcast, we knew it was critical to bring you a mix of information from practitioners and thought leaders. But my favorite part, to also share the transformative stories of individuals. It's my absolute honor to introduce you to Sean. Sean Lloyd is a case manager at CityCare. He manages relationships with other service providers to house marginalized citizens moving away from homelessness and fleeing domestic violence. He coordinates all intakes and manages the cases of individuals who are in their first six months of transition. He guides them, he assists them, and he's a critical member of our team at CityCare. Sean has worked for energy companies in the past and worked 10 years in the motorcycle industry. Sean is currently a student at Oklahoma State University, seeking a degree in public service and maintains a 4.0 GPA. Sean also has plans for law school in the future and serves at Skyline Church. He is in recovery from addiction to methamphetamines, has been through our justice system, and now fights diligently for our citizens on the fringes. He learned how to live in God's plan and redirect his life through encouragement from mentors. Sean lives every day of his life giving back to the community what he once took through addiction and bad choices. He's a leader in our community who overcame adversity, and I'm so excited for you to hear from him today. Sean, we're so honored you would join us. Thank you. Uh, I would love for you to just start us off, share a little bit about who you are. Okay, I'm Sean Lloyd, and um, I am an addict. And I actually celebrated six years of sobriety awesome. last Thursday, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, I work for City Care, and I'm a case manager at the Pershing Center. And I, I basically help people like develop skills and competencies to learn how to function in society again, and just you know how to develop coping skills and how to move their life from crisis mode to stable, mm-hmm. and just you know, how to move forward after addiction or homelessness. So post-addiction and homelessness is kind of where I spend my days. And I'm also a student at Oklahoma State, and I'm seeking a public service degree. And I managed to, I managed to maintain a 4.0, which is pretty amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, yeah, so that's me. Awesome, dude. Okay, so I wanted to um, ask you a question of when was a time that you felt hidden in plain sight and how did someone help you feel seen? Okay, so that story could go way back for me. Um, I was adopted at three mm-hmm. and I, um, you know, not to mention a ton of abandonment issues, but I also had, um, I also felt invisible. And so I would just throw myself like fully into sports or just whatever it was I was doing. Um, I spent a lot of time on wrestling mats um, so those, those feelings started for me at a really young age. And then, 
you know, as I got older, um, I just, I just stayed in this outwork everybody mode all the time. No matter what I was doing, I was going to work harder than you and I was going to be more prepared. And I stayed in that all the way into my first attempt at college and I lost that. And then I came home, you know, I left college and I came home and I, I started working in, in different places and I raced motocross and then uh, I worked in the motorcycle industry for a decade. Um, and then I got divorced and after my divorce, uh, I started, I had, I had no real coping skills. Like for me, my entire life, my coping skills were always just dump myself into whatever I was doing. And, um, and I found myself just strung out and just high and for years. Um, the real invisibleness really started after, um, after I started going to jail and, and I would literally go to jail and I would get out and, and at that point it was like, I was invisible then for everything except for a criminal. And, you know, and, and I, I've never been a criminal like through life. Like, like I didn't make a lifetime of being a criminal. I, um, I didn't know how to cope with life on life's terms. And so I used drugs instead of dealing with it. Um, I kept getting in trouble and then uh, I showed up for a court date and they arrested me for failure to appear in the courtroom. Um, after that, yeah, right, who does that? Well, Cleveland County does that if you're, if you're interested. So, um, and I literally spent two years in a county jail. Um, in that two years time, if you want to talk about feeling invisible, that's invisible. The, the actual only way to get any needs met or any attention is to, to, is to be violent with someone. And, um, and you kind of learn like, okay, if, if I need time out of this situation, I got to punch this guy in the face, you know, and then you can go to segregation or you can, you can go get the alone time or get the attention of an officer. You know, if you want the attention of an officer, you punch somebody in the face and then you get attention. And, um, and so going through that process, I felt invisible and then um, coming out of that process and going into rehab, I felt invisible, you know, it, at first, when I walked into a faith-based rehab, my thought was, okay, like, I'm going to find out what people really get when they find God or they, or they chase Jesus. And, and then I just felt like a number. I felt like, I felt like the place I was at was just taking advantage of addicts for their agenda. Mm-hmm. And that was tough. And that was tough coming out of that, too. And then um, coming out of that, I went into a city care project called the Pershing Center. And that was, that's honestly the first time in my life that I remember somebody seeing me and hearing my voice. Mm. And, uh, and I was really angry. Then I spent a good two years in that anger out of rehab. And, um, you know, on top of felonies and, and 10 other barriers at achieving, you know, employment that would sustain life, um, I, was, I was just angry. Um, the, the case managers I had at the time, they gave me that voice. And, and of course, like I said, I developed this crazy worth ethic as a child. And, and I carried that into post-addiction as well, you know. Um, I was encouraged to go back to school and to devote myself to community service or to helping other people. And so I made that change. And, and that's when I could say that I felt for the first time that I had a voice. And that was at, what, 37 years old? Mm. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, that was good, Sean. Yeah. Thank you.
Um, I wanted to ask you, because you're in a place of stability yes. now, and you have been for a while. Yes, absolutely. So what do you believe is the path forward for those who come out of crisis and have moved well into stability on their journey? I want to honor the idea of, you know, we're not just our past, we're also our potential. Yeah. But how has that narrative shaped you of, you know, we are our past? Have you felt that you've been seen for your potential now? How would you encourage others to see folks that have been in your position in that light? Okay. Can, can I go kind of back into the beginning of yeah, the question? Of and so I feel like coming out of crisis, there's some important things to do. And, and so once you're out of, of crisis, the first thing you have to do is, is sustain your life, like face your crap, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and find a way to address your problems to where you're not going to just roll over in crisis again. And then you need to, um, you need to get busy and that's it. Like get busy, you know, get, get cognitive behavior therapy, get great counseling, get, um, a 12 step program, get something going that has you driven to get to where your life is sustaining, not just from crisis to crisis. So after, I I feel like after you come out of that, um, that's kind of when you're stable, which is where you were speaking of. Right. So, so in that mode, I think it's a tough question because I found myself stuck in the story many times. Mm -hmm. And so, so I'm a firm believer in like testimony holds power. And so when people come to me and ask me to speak on testimony or to speak with like where I was, I I always say yes. Although sometimes I want to say no, um, because it's easy to get stuck in that. It's easy to get stuck in, you know, we, I think we kind of expressed earlier about like the token mentality. So it's easy to get stuck as the token clean guy, or it's easy to get stuck in, um, the guy who tells his story at every 12 step facility in, in Oklahoma County, you know what I mean? (laughs) And, um, and although I think it's necessary and I, and I think it is a good thing for anyone coming out of addiction or, or just pure crisis or uh, mental health issues to be able to talk about their story and relay it to other people because that's really what builds relationship. That's how we relate with each other. But um, I found myself stuck in the mode of token rehab boy many times, you know, and um, it's hard to come out of that. And I'm still searching for the answer for that because I'm still kind of straddling a fence. And that's like one foot in, can you come give a testimony and one foot in, hey, let's talk to this guy because he knows what to do to get your life on track. And sometimes it's almost like you've got to have two different circles that you're functioning in. And one of those circles is where everybody is saying, hey, I got this guy who gives a great testimony and we can have him come in and he'll blow everybody's minds and people will cry and they'll feel mm-hmm. close. And then there's the other circle where they're like, hey, this guy knows how to change your life. Like this mm-hmm. guy knows what to do yeah. to get to the next step. And so so you just have to, you have to learn how to operate in more than one circle, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that as much as everybody has to focus on what they've come through or where they've been, like you got to focus on what's next also. And, and I hear a lot of times people are like, don't worry about the past. And you can't, 
you can't make the future change. Like, be in the present bit. Like, you can make the future change. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not saying only worry about your future. Like, we do need to be mindful and we do need to be in the present. But if we're not changing in the present, our future is going to be the same. And that's just more crisis or or more meth or, or more men for some people or gambling or just whatever it is that drags you down. Yeah. I love that, Sean. I didn't ask you this, tell you I was going to ask you this question, but earlier you were talking, you just kind of said it fast and you were talking about a work ethic. Yeah. But I heard you say worth ethic. And I know you're just talking fast. I don't think you meant to say it, but it had my mind thinking about, I feel like there for a long time, you confused the two, right? And your work ethic became your worth ethic. Absolutely. And how have you remedied that? Because I have experienced that, that I'm only as good as what I'm working on or completing or doing. And I think that that is a narrative that is transcendent. And I would love for you, if you don't mind me putting you on the spot, if you could speak to that. Man. um, Let me just uh, reflect on that for a second. So to put it like that, just sounds so drastic but it's so true you know like i've i've honestly been caught for most of my life in a place where where that is the absolute truth i don't know how to come out of that um so now i just know that that i'm not worth only what i'm doing like i'm worth more as a human and for me i'm christian i'm worth more to god i'm worth more to my family I'm just worth more to myself, but I don't know how to differentiate the two now. Like, but I think now thinking about it, my work ethic is, is, is work. Like, it's just what I do. It's what I have to do to achieve and to maintain and to change. Because in reality, like, Everybody says, oh, I just want to do something to change the world. Like, I want to change the world. And so I know the things that I'm doing, I need to do if I think I'm going to change the world. No matter how big or small, like, I've got to continue to work and I've got to work hard. But I'm I'm happy now, like, reflecting on that to know that that's just not my worth. But it was. And that was was an, an insightful moment for me. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Sean. Yeah. Sean is so spectacular. Today we asked him a question that we will be repeating throughout the podcast. When was a time that you felt hidden in plain sight and how did someone help you feel seen? I hope that you'll think about that question and consider the opportunities you might have to help others feel seen and known and loved. Please do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast. Feel free to leave it a nice review. You can also follow us on social media, City Care OKC. We are activists for the overlooked, and we'll see you soon. <music>